You are listening to an episode of the Radiant Menopause Podcast. So the episode today is with the fantastic Dr. Marion Bevington. Not only is she one of my gurus and guys, but she is one of my very favourite people in the world. I'd like to introduce you to her world, which we call Planet Marion. She went from, in her own words, programming computers to deprogramming people. It's a fascinating conversation into the world of meta health, into trauma healing, spirituality, yoga, sex, all sorts of things. Be warned, there are no holds barred. (laughs) And just watch out for the language. Here she is. Here is my lovely, lovely friend, Dr. Marion Bevington, uh, known to me as Mazzy B, actually. Hmm. A bit less professional than doctor, darling. <laughs> well, I do have two relationships with you, of course. I have my very personal relationship with you, Mazzy B. And, uh, you know, because you're also one of my goddesses and gurus, as I call you, and my mentors, then I might just call you Dr. Marion Bevington at that moment. Call me goddess, Marion. I much prefer it. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, thank you very much for joining me today. It's really interesting getting you on because we we actually have spent quite a bit of time together, particularly in the last kind of three years, more really. I mean, I've probably known you about seven years, something like that. You must be about that, yeah. Um, But you know, we're very blessed, aren't we? Because we go away on lovely times away to European cities and... (laughs) You spend, I spend quite a bit of time at your flat in London and uh, you've also been up to me up the countryside. But we just leave, lead incredibly different lives. And, you know, this podcast is about giving women the opportunity to really kind of step into their midlife and enjoy and embrace what they've got. So I didn't want everybody to be, you know, a mum of three with a husband of a gazillion years and a dog and a narrowboat. You know, because you are completely the opposite to, to that, aren't you? I am. I am. No narrow boat. No husband. <laughs> no children. No dog. No children. No, no responsibilities. Dog. Oh, me. <laughs> Responsibility on the planet. Me. <laughs> and actually, it's so, it's interesting because, you know, as a mum, I'm just so used to always looking after everybody else. And you know, and you call me out on that all the time, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I, I do need. Thank you very much. But it is really refreshing sometimes to see just how it's kind of like how the other half live, really. Yeah. So, first of all, just to, re- to frame uh, to, to frame this, because we are talking a lot to midlife women. How old are you, Marion? I'm 55. I'll be 56 in three months. Really? So what, you are a bit younger than me. That's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> your story's um, really interesting we're going to talk about children and your background you know you're a scouser, scouser. actually i'm a woolly back i'm from birkenhead oh birkenhead now for now i want to kind of talk about your your work life really and coming from what was a very corporate kind of techie world wasn't it well as i say i used to program computers now i deprogram people that's my thing that's my strap line yeah my work's just completely like gone from it's got it's gone interdimensional it's like it's gone from one reality to another completely um so 20 nearly 25 years working in it really technical uh, it was a real man's world as well which i actually enjoyed i've got four brothers so i get on with lads really well um and computer geeky lads 
kind of definitely high up there on the people I get on well with. So being in that world was great because I had this real camaraderie with my colleagues and it was quite playful and it's actually quite creative as well being in, in IT because you get to make the computer do things. Not always the right things, but you get to do it. Um, so it is really creative and you kind of get all, you're all mates together on a good project. You're all mates together making this thing work on the computer. But the, um, the intention of the thing or the idea of the thing that's going to go out there into the world that you're putting all this time and energy and effort into is not guided by you and your mates in the team. It's guided by these faceless corporate bodies. They're not even people, are they? Corporate identities that are businesses that call the shots. And what I stopped, you know, what I started to realise was that me giving 40, 50, 60 hours a week, because depending on projects, you could do that sometimes. That, what was I giving that time to? Because I was getting the money out of it, and the money was amazing. And I had an amazing life. But 60 hours a week of it, it wasn't amazing. It was actually just creating this thing for this faceless business, this soulless business, if you like. So I worked in banking a lot, worked for many, many different banks, international banks and UK banks. I worked on loads of card machine projects because I was I was in IT when ATMs were first coming out. Online banking was starting. So I, I know how all of those systems have been put together and what the purposes behind them are, uh, which isn't often isn't to help people. It's to help the banks make more, not help people. Um, I worked in insurance on systems that were about making the insurance companies make more. And I worked in um, lots of different public services. So I've worked on transport, I've worked on health projects, I've worked in online gambling, which was quite good fun, but actually that distressed me because, you know, so providing people with their addictive necessities just, anyway. Yes. Um, so so I, when I realised that actually, even though it was a good job and even though it was good money and even though the people were nice, the thing that we were producing at the end of the day was never, ever anything I would have chosen to produce. So um, even at that time, were you, were you kind of a little bit into the spiritual and woo-woo world? Did you have that connection already? I did. I did. It's a bit strange because I was so scientific and I was totally atheist and, uh, you know, I was against anything that was like indoctrination, I thought. <laughs> I was against it. Um, so spiritually, I would have said I was an atheist. Uh, I was very scientific. I did really well in science and maths at school. I loved it. Really, you know, I thought that, the, 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 that it was all the whole truth and the whole picture. Now we know it's a lot different. So I really was caught up in that scientific left brain mindset, if you like, that three-dimensional mindset. But I also found yoga. And it, I was really fortunate because my yoga teacher didn't talk about spirituality. And she didn't, it, you didn't even know it was part of it unless you were already in, you know, with, with, with spiritual world. So for me, it was like warm. It was accepting. It was helping me find out more about me. I am my favourite subject. <laughs> I did biology at school. It was my favourite subject because it taught me more about me and geography because it was places I like to go to. So, um, yeah, I've always wanted to learn about me. I think I'm fascinating. Well, I mean, and just because I'm human, you're fascinating too because you're human. But I'm me, so I'm more fascinating to me. Um, so, yeah, I loved all that science stuff. So when I was getting into the yoga, I saw it as kind of, uh, philosophy it was a bit academic that side of yoga to me I didn't ever recognize it as spiritual and so um, now 
I know I'm a total spiritual space cadet, but I still, I still feel like, you know, the science uh, I'm an atheist because I don't go to church kind of person. Um, that I feel like I know what's right for me. I feel I can trust what's going on inside me. I feel like now when I tune into me, I can recognize things. And that's so spiritual. But even saying it's spiritual stuff is a bit strange because I've never really associated myself as the label of a spiritual person. And everything's totally <laughs> spiritual. So it's like just all a bit, bit crazy. <laughs> is it, isn't, it, isn't it weird? Because you are, you know, we're... we're um... We're going to talk later on about the business that you have with Dr. Cheryl Chapman and it's called the Found Your Why Foundation. And, you know, the reason that I became your very first wise woman was because you and Cheryl offer this very different end of the spectrum. And you were definitely the spiritual one. And Cheryl was the business lady, you know, sort of. And so to hear you say that is really strange because, as you say, everybody knows that Marion's very woo-woo and spiritual. And, you know, that's the way that we think of you. I mean, obviously, I know that you have these incredible talents in terms of, you know, if I've got a problem with my computer, who am I going to call? Cool. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters or <laughs> Mazzy B. But my overriding sense of you, and I suppose that depends on where people met you in your journey. You know, all the women that you're working with now, they, you know, they're fairly recent into your your sphere. And so they probably may even be surprised to hear this interview and know that you've done all of that, to be yeah. honest, because you don't talk about it a lot. No. So it's it's really interesting. So when when did it kind of change then? I mean, was that when you went off to India? What what was the catalyst? It was a bit before India actually, because um, I went to India with a purpose. So the purpose was set. Well, I was living in Mexico because oh. <laughs> I was working in IT and I'd I'd do contract work, and then at the end of the contract, I would disappear somewhere around the world. And as, when I run out of money, and when I'd started to max out a few credit cards, I'd come home, get a job, pay my debts build up a bit of more money, go away again. So at the end of every project, I was off. Um, and I was going away for longer and longer and longer periods. And I was finding ways, you know, finding bits of work or ways to find good, easy accommodation that wasn't going to cost me a fortune. There were always ways to extend my, my trip. So I got to the place where when I went, I actually went to Belize to start with. Um, and then I ended up in Mexico and I was away for about four and a half years in total. That was a one stretch. Wow. <laughs> so that one stretch was my longest. And that was the one where I was living in Mexico and I was looking after a blind dog in this really gorgeous apartment next to a marina uh, on the Caribbean coast. It was just, I mean, heaven, heaven, heaven on earth. Um, and a friend, of, a friend who I knew from just one of the local girls, um, she was running the gym in this really gorgeous hotel right on the beach. The gym actually goes into the water, the building. It's just stunning. Um, and the couple that had re renovated the hotel gym and had it all up and running and she was helping them Interpol came and took them one morning because this couple had two children from separate relationships that and they were all living together as one family and the partners of the children didn't know that they were all like living and applying for residency in Mexico nice. and so Interpol got connected they were Italian people Interpol and all, all of a sudden they were all shipped off back to Italy so there's my friend Lydia actually is her name my friend Lydia's there going I don't know what to do I can't run the gym 24 7. So I said I'd help her. And I just used to do a yoga class by myself in the gym in the mornings as a you know, really nice experience. And then people wanted to join me. So I wasn't qualified to teach, but I was well qualified to help people because I've been doing it for years and years and I loved it. So I started a group, a yoga group. And that was when I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is this. It was the first time 
And how old would I have been then? I was like nearly 40. And it was the first time ever in my life I'd had a really clear signal in my own mind and in my body, this is it. Wow. This is what I want to do. This is it. This is what I want to do. I want to do this. I want to do this every day. I want to do more of this. This is it. This And it was just this constant. Every time I was doing it, I knew that this was the truth of it. And so from there, I went back to the UK, got the online gambling job for eight months and then went to India for two years. Which couldn't have, couldn't have been <laughs> or, you know, could it really? Uh, Oh, bizarre. Planet Marion type of experience. <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of a friend of my husband's actually who used to busk and he used to do the same thing. He would busk on the streets until he had enough money yeah. and then he would, you know, live for a month or two and then he'd go and busk for some more and, you know, he's a very talented guy and, and it's that kind of, you know, which is just such a different a different life to mine and obviously for a lot of people that are listening to as well who might be going oh my god that sounds amazing or oh my god that sounds really scary because you know you have to be quite brave to just trust in yourself that you're going to be the opposite for me because my life started in with such I was brought up in a really violent household so actually the danger was never outside Mm. it was never outside it was always in the in the home. So, so staying into me. <laughs> yeah, so that's really interesting. We need to talk about that because, uh, and we will talk about that. Yeah. But just go back to sort of that beginning of that journey. So then there was India and yoga, yeah. and you got into yoga, and then all sorts of things f- finished as well. Uh, followed after that, didn't it? Absolutely. Well, from that, my health just deteriorated. I, I already had been diagnosed with an um, autoimmune thyroid thing. So I was, t- I was taking thyroxine. The thyroxine hadn't been working. And while I was working in Belize, I'd met a woman who was a hormone specialist, a doctor. I worked in a dive shop in Belize. Of course she, she did. <laughs> she's a diver. So she's one of our clients. Um, and when she saw me and she said, you've got a thyroid issue. And I said, how do you know? She said, I can just tell by the shape of the tissues on your face, like your eyes and things. Um, and she recommended this natural hormone, which we just used to, I just used to order it from Thailand. I actually still use it now. And that helps me to keep my thyroid levels kind of normal. But then what had happened is because I was studying yoga and I was really super, super disciplined, super committed, a pure veg diet uh, and a really low, you know, food was just really moderate. Everything is super, super moderate with yoga. And so that actually started a repair mechanism that I didn't recognize. So I ended up overdosing on medication because my body didn't need the amount of medication. But the blood tests were not indicating that. So I was having regular blood tests and they were saying to me, that's fine, stay as you are. That's fine, stay as you are. And I was cascading into this hyper too much thyroxine situation. And I was being monitored and nobody recognized it. And then when I said there was something wrong, they accused me of trying to, you know, run roughshod over their medical experience or something, you know, rather than me having them run roughshod over my personal body experience. And so that actually then brought on another complete different process in my body, which was an eye condition that and I ended up blind in one eye for a few months. Then I had serious double vision for a couple of years. Uh, the, the double vision has settled down. The inflammation is still there. So there's still some things going on in my body. But because of that, because of that massive deterioration, I went back to England from India 
and just fell into a massive deep depression, didn't know what to do, didn't trust the doctors because I knew the medication was involved and I was really stuck in this place. I couldn't travel because if I did need medical care, it would have cost too much money. So I was stuck in the UK where I really didn't want to be with an eye condition that I hated. I didn't even understand it at the time with serious agoraphobia because of the double vision, didn't even know I had that with serious um, depression because I'd like it's, um, it's like I'd had my life taken. Like someone had just come along and gone, oh, this is your life here. Right, that kind of fuck up. Well, now get on with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, get on with what? Couldn't even see. It was horrible. Um, and I was like, the anxiety was really high. I had nausea because of the, it was just, uh, it was awful. So because of that, I decided I needed to find out what the fucking hell was going on. And so I discovered a thing called metamedicine. There's also a school of thought called German New Medicine. And again, it's, it's really from, a, from the, North, the old world I was in. This, again, it's a spiritual understanding of who we are, but it, it lends itself to our physical symptoms as well. It really helps understand physical symptoms. So with metamedicine, what we see is that every symptom is the body adapting to some perceived issue. Now, the issue might be real or it might not be, but we perceive it as a real issue. And then the body goes into an adaptation to, pro, to, get, to get on with that, to, you know, to deal with it, to cope with it. And the coping of the body becomes symptoms. And then if we understand what our perception is, if we can switch our perception to something else, then the coping is not needed anymore. So the symptom isn't needed anymore. So it really is about how we perceive, what are our experiences, and what is it that affects our perception? So beliefs affect our perception. Uh, trauma affects our perception. Um, stress, when we're really stressed, we see things very black and white. It's right or wrong, there's no gray. That's our perception being impacted. It's our, you know, our level of consciousness being impacted by stress. Uh, and the higher our anxiety, the less we can see that, that there's more than two options uh, for anything. So it's like that whole experience for me helped me understand that what is this eye condition? Because I always think about my eyes. That's the first symptom I want to fix, which is a, that's a problem in itself. But anyway, that's for another <laughs> So the first thing I want to fix is this eye condition. So what's the eye telling me? The eye is telling me that I'm keeping an eye out for danger. So, well, yeah, and I have been all my life because I was brought up in a house that was danger was constant. So my need to be vigilant was constant. So my body has adapted really well. Unfortunately, I'm 55. I haven't lived at home since I was 15, 14. It's like 40, it's taken 40 years. It still hasn't caught up. (laughs) But it's because of beliefs and it's because of values and it's because of other structures, structured behaviours that I've got. And trauma is a big part of it. Uh, the other thing, so my eye is seeking, it's looking, keeping an eye out for danger and at the same time seeking approval. Mm. So I'm actually always seeing disapproval because I'm looking, where is the, where, where is approval for me? And what do you see when you're looking for, you know, you're going to keep seeing where it isn't, where it isn't, where it isn't. Yeah. And you're super sensitive if you think that somebody is disapproving of you, even yeah. when they're not. Yes. Yeah, it, Oh, it completely triggers me. It triggers me into the place of black and white, that whole stress. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, it happens like, you, you know, you, I haven't got children. I've got four brothers. And actually, I'm a bit of a caretaker, rescuer for them. And that's created so many problems for me as an adult. And especially now that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in this mindset where the understanding of perception and the, the, the level of consciousness are much more important to me than the physical 3D area. Because, because, of, because I've kind of shifted dimensions, if you like, my brothers, my brothers all think I'm a, even more of a space cadet than I was before, and they don't get me. 
and I don't get them and I feel wounded or accused even sometimes. Because you're seeking their approval, of course. Exactly, exactly. So it's still, even after, you know, 10 years of really deep diving, deep work into these patterns of seeking approval and keeping an eye out for danger, the roots run really, really deep. And now I'm working on the, you know, with the, as you know, the advanced trauma work that I'm doing, really understanding what trauma is. And trauma is my current, my present experience in this body. It's not what happened to me 50 years ago. It's what's happening to me today. It's a result of what happened to me 50 years ago. But the trauma is what's running right now. And the running right now, as you say, it's still seeking approval. It's still keeping an eye out for danger. Yeah. And uh, what's really interesting about this is as I, you know, first began working with you and you were one of the first people that kind of introduced me into this spiritual world. Because I was like you, you know, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in all of that. And it, it wasn't any of that. She was just... Um, churches I didn't yeah. religion I didn't believe it um, and it was really bizarre as well because of course I'd spent my life singing in churches as a singer you know I'd, I'd spent my life praising praising a you know god or universal source yeah. or whatever you want to call it so, but meeting you and a, and a couple of other people had started my journey and it's really interesting because when you start this kind of spiritual awareness journey you go on it with other people don't you mm-hmm. and even though those other people might be effectively seven steps ahead of you you're always taking that journey. No, nobody really overtakes the other person. There's always, because the more that you understand and the more you are self-aware, that means that I'm more self-aware because I am learning off you and you know, other people that I follow and, yeah. and am mentored by as well. But what's really interesting about that as well is that you, I know that I'm also part of your healing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The beautiful Zen quote, the obstacle is the way. It's like the cold is the cure. Yeah. And yeah. You know, it's not like the destination's not it. The journey is it. Your journey's full of obstacles and your, uh, the challenges that you overcome, whether they, you know, lift you or, or, or drop you down. it doesn't matter just the fact that we're going through every you know every challenge we go through that's our that's it that's our thing that's our yeah. journey and life would be very boring and I think one of the big things that I will be ever grateful to you for is that you know you your favorite expression is that you love to ooze juicy joy yeah <laughs> you know Planet Marion, and Marion, it doesn't matter what's happening, most of the time you have a really nice time and you ha- you know you make sure that everybody else does too I Um, But at the same time, as you say, without the crap that's going on, you can't experience the joy. Mm -hmm. So there is this duality and we are all in this duality. And what I see, and particularly we're talking to perhaps midlife women, menopausal women, whether they're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, is that it's very easy for women to get stuck in this doom and gloom of midlife. Victim. You become a victim of yourself. Because yeah. your body's changing, because your hormones are changing, because your kids are growing up, because your husband's, I don't, whatever he's doing. Well, yeah, things, things are moving on and shifting and changing. And, and we get propelled into this massive change, the change, that um, nobody's ever prepared us for it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's no surprise, is it, that women have got lower self-esteem generally. Because most of us, especially as teenagers, our mum will have been menopausal when we were teenagers. And so what was she labelled as in your house? Was she just, like in our house, she was the mad bitch. Mm, yeah. You know, as a menopausal woman, the mad bitch. That was, it's like, what? Yeah. 
that's how we get um, categorized. Yeah. And, 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 we, we, and my mum would never have challenged anybody. She'd have probably agreed that she'd gone a bit mad because she... <laughs> well, because that's what you feel like, you know, of the 35 or 30, 40, you know, we've done an episode here where, you know, we've gone through the 35, 40 um, symptoms of the menopause and fortunately not everybody experiences all of them, but a lot of them are to do with self-image and depression and anxiety yeah. and mood yeah. swings and mental, yeah. you know, and that feeling that you are losing your identity and going mad, frankly. Yeah. Um, and they are much more common. You know, I see on forums, you know, again and again, almost every day a woman saying, I just think I'm losing it. I'm, I'm seeing things in black and white, you know, instead of, yeah. of in, in colour. Yeah. And what you've managed to do throughout your life, despite you know some of the things that we're going to talk about is that your life largely is in colour it's not to say that you don't have your shit days because you do don't you yeah 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 well I mean my the whole illness thing was a really shit day and, and even now you know this stuff with my family comes up over and over again I mean I don't really spend that much time with them but it's like it seems to be every time there's an interaction there's some big triggers shown to me and my yeah. triggers and I go them bastards they do this they always do that and they go oh what's the common denominator it's me I'm the common denominator <laughs> um, so yeah they, they are helping but it is yeah, yeah it's just the relationships I think this is one of the other blessings isn't it in life that we we can't live without relating and the relationships mm. that show us the most shit are the ones that are the most beneficial if mm. we choose to see ourselves as you know ever-changing and also the thing, the other thing, you were saying people going on journeys. I think the journey's this way. Mm. I think it's that way. Within, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You're following spiritual journeys. It's because the people are going in. We're going in, aren't we? And it's yeah. like now I know my truth because I feel it in my body because I've learned how to come back into my body. I don't stay very often and I don't stay for long. I go off, I get dissociated. But knowing now what it is, and yoga's helped me with that a great deal, being, you know, becoming mindful of the state of me becoming aware of little voices within me this you know the idea I said before about this is it I'm going to do this this is what I want this is what I want that state of this inner conversation where is that how is that going right now what's you know what's going how many sides are there are they fighting are they getting on this whole inner experience is huge so as I can tune into that that is my truth and unfortunately everybody else has got the same thing and none of it is any of my business <laughs> and that's the biggest lesson isn't it it's yeah. none of your child it's none of your business if it's your husband it's none of your business my business is what goes on within me regardless of anybody else's business yeah so that's really important that we help our ladies to understand this is because particularly if you are a, a, you know you've got a long-term partner whether that's male or female whether you're not you've got children is that we tend to experience life uh, as a result of somebody else's mood that day or what they think of you or you know we're very very um, drawn out disassociated if you like exactly victim that's the victim yeah. isn't it because yeah. you're blaming the other person because you're yeah. not able to stay inside you and help yourself yeah. so you blame the other person for the disturbance and it's the same with same with illness as well is what we see and we've talked about this a lot is people kind of identifying with their illness so yeah. they become their fibromyalgia so you know it's almost when I see women come to me and obviously you know you and I work a lot with women yeah. it's almost like my name's Jane and I have fibromyalgia yeah I'm very careful about my language I don't know if you noticed when I said it before I actually as soon as I start thinking about an, Ill, an illness or a condition that has been given to me the names have been given to me mm. I try to, to, to voice it in those terms as well because you know we're magical manifesting machines aren't we we yeah. speak we spell 
Yeah. It's magic. So I always say something along the lines of, I was told that there was an autoimmune condition and it was a thyroid condition. Yeah. So it's I don't want to own it. I don't, I'm not it. I'm not a thyroid sufferer. Yeah. I'm not a, you know, autoimmune sufferer. I know some people would label me as that, but that's not how, I can't hold myself in that role. I can't identify with that because I'll end up living it for the rest of my life. But that, that's a lesson that you've taken a while to learn and a while to, okay. to be familiar with and to drop it. It's almost like a habit, isn't it? Well, I um, hear myself dropping into the victim and I can, yeah. I can go, oh, okay. Yeah. That's one possibility because it is a possibility. And there are other possibilities too. And, and, and I've, I've done the same thing too. You know, I remember saying to a spiritual guy about three years ago, I feel like my body's let me down. Yeah, me too. I've said that a lot. Mm. I've written blogs about it. <laughs> <laughs> my poor body, I'm there going, ooh, you bitch. <laughs> and, and it's taken a while to, you know, and I look back now and I think, well, you know, you wonder you felt like that. <laughs> Because, you know, if you've got any sense of the law of attraction, which is partly what we're talking about, we're also talking about, you know, Louise Hayes, you know, a book as well. If anybody's familiar with that, you can hear you can your life. You can hear your life. Um, it's so powerful. What we think and what we feel are so powerful. And I know that, you know, a lot of what you do, particularly with the trauma healing mm -hmm. uh, that you're doing with the wonderful Juliet Yelverton down at Glastonbury at the Healing Waters Sanctuary, She's um, a goddess. Yeah, yeah. We're so lucky to know such wonderful people, aren't we? Yeah. So just to touch a little bit more on that trauma and helping perhaps our listeners to understand, because if you've not been introduced to trauma healing, if you don't understand that your past can have a, a massive impact on your future, even if, as you say, it's not about your past, but it definitely has an influence. Mm -hmm. Can you just explain a little bit more about perhaps your life just to frame things of how bad things were for you and what what, you see, what where I see my trauma patterns have come from yeah yeah so there's a there's one school of, in trauma that talks about developmental trauma so I'm just going to introduce that first and then I'm, I'll, I'll tell you why that's important sure. there's quite a lot of threads in trauma and, and different groups talk about you know the body keeps the score um, there's a Bessel van der Kolk, I think his name is. Then there's a really another guy, a lovely guy called Gabor Mattis. There's all these amazing teachers that Julieta helped us to, to discover. And there's this one guy, Lawrence Heller, and he talks about developmental trauma. And that just uh, struck me. That's, that definitely is, for me, has been a, a huge eye-opener. Because developmental trauma, it's like there are five stages of development from conception to uh, puberty. Yeah. And so at any stage, any of these five areas, we do, we will be traumatized by them. And again, trauma just means that you're running a coping strategy, but you're running it now. And it, the coping strategy was learned in the past. That's what trauma is. And so these coping strategies in these five days, basic things, what the first one is connection and disconnection trauma. Well, most of us will have that because we were born the umbilical cord was cut too soon, mm. we were separated from our mum. This is where attachment theory plays a massive role in the disconnect. Now, when we have disconnect trauma, guess what it helps us to be? Independent. And we become proud of our independence. Mm. Or we become super spiritual and not connected to the physical body, but to the spiritual body. And we become really proud of how spiritual we are. Well, these pride-based behaviors become our identity. And these pride-based behaviours hold the wound of disconnect. 
in place. In fact, they help it to grow as a wound. Wow, that's really powerful. Deep, isn't it? So we have to recognise my independence is an, is an identity. It's not me. Yeah. It's an identity I've spent years crafting. But that same craft has held the wound in place too, or the spiritual side. So does that mean that, so if you were to, if you, I don't know, you can't, you know, regrets and hindsight and all the rest of it. So does that mean that Marion, uh, Marion could have had a wife, a, you know, a partner, a husband and children, if she, if you had um, not had that core wound? Would, yeah. would you have more likely yeah. to have had that? I, have, I, I knew by the time I was 12, probably a lot younger, I knew I would never have children. Because as a child of parents who I perceived didn't like me, they never liked me. They, I never got told I was a good girl unless I only did what they said and I paid no attention to my own being. Yeah. That's my wound. It's autonomy. It's, it's the next one. It's the autonomy wound. It's how do you become yourself? Mm -hmm. So my mum always made my hair look how she wanted it to look. And I had straight hair. She didn't like straight hair. So my hair was wrong. I had skinny long legs, they were wrong. I had a loud voice, that was wrong. Everything about me was wrong. I had to pretend to have curly hair, then I was a good girl. I had to wear you know, long skirts or long trousers so that people couldn't see my skinny legs, then I was a good girl. So all these conditions, and only when I was a good girl would I get favorable approval and treatment. Um, so that whole wounding of never being allowed to be you, and we've all done it. Your mum made you wear the shoes she wanted, the coat she wanted, the dress she wanted. I mean, if your mum just let you dress yourself in the morning, you're a lucky woman. <laughs> very, very lucky woman. And I've got friends who do that for their kids. You know, you'll walk around the supermarket with little little Tracy with her Superman hat on and her tutu. I fucking love it. Absolutely love it. You know, it's, it's definitely a different world because I would never have done that. But I do see younger women who, you know, even my I think my nephew's um, girlfriend, she's got a little girl called Isabel. And, you know, there's pictures. Isabel's dressed herself today. <laughs> you know, it's very clear. Yeah. So that, that's wonderful. So the autonomy for me is even bigger than the disconnect wound, because mm -hmm. when we've got an autonomy wound, what we do is we become a perfect, we become perfectionist people pleasers yes we want everybody to be perfectly happy with us yeah. yeah and that's my wound but unfortunately with the autonomy wound this trauma wound we also have a little secret unconscious you'll never have all of me <laughs> and that little unconscious resentful nasty shaming sharp Bitter, that little one. I'm, I'm only just starting to get to know this part of my own personality. She's mean. Oh my mm. God, she's mean. But it's because she's never, ever been recognized. And that meanness is born of this lack of recognition, this lack of it's okay for me to be me. And that is my biggest trauma wound, I know. Because that then has meant that the seeking approval has also got this seeking of a yes and all you're never gonna get me <laughs> yeah. so it's really mixed energy it's not a clean pure energy and that actually i can imagine because i think we've all we've all got those little we've parts all of got us all five, we've all got all five yeah just, we'll have one or two more than the others 
Yeah, but and there will also be whatever part that. that is with that little nasty bit. Yeah, the little nasty Mary, the little nasty yeah. Jill. And my mum had it, so I've got yeah. the programmed version of that. Yeah, and my grandmother had it, so I've got double programmed. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what makes you feel guilt and shame, isn't it? Is because you think, well, I'm a nice girl. Yes, you know, um, you trying to be a people pleaser, and the yeah, is going. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see that, you know, what we're talking about here, um, you know, when you're, when you're older, the great thing about being older is that you have, you know, I love being in my 50s because you've got much more self-awareness. We are going to talk about more about that. Um, but actually that awareness also brings, um, it brings peace to a certain degree and, and a certain amount of confidence for, for me and a lot of women that I know. But it also brings the space to be able to do this self-examination work that some people are not keen to do because um, it's quite a brave thing to do really isn't well it? when you think about what i just said about the identity we've spent our whole life building the identity and the pride-based identity is built on top of the wound of the shame of the wound yeah so all of our identity no, well 90 90 of our identity by the time we hit the menopause perimenopause 90 percent or more of who we've become is about the external world trying to fit into that trying to be what that thinks we should be and so then when we can step into our own power we've got this massive conflict because this person who I've been so proud of being all my life independent being spiritual being a people pleaser whatever it is we've we've created this pride-based behavior but it's on top of the wound and so that breaking that shell of the pride is massive because what it will do is it'll show the shame the shame will come full and our whole and I think that part of uh, the heat of my hot flushes well now I know that part mm. of the heat inside my hot flushes is from shame yeah and it's shame I've carried all my life but I've locked it down and I've built this pride-based behavior over it and as I'm breaking down this pride-based behavior and starting to see it for what it is and see it with compassion but care for me more now then this shame is going to start to glow like a beacon and, I'm, and to me that's what my hot flushes are yeah and that's really important to understand because if you you know if you're a woman and you're looking for help from a from a, a medicalized kind of perspective or even from a natural um, naturopathy or a nutritionist like me is that none of this sort of sort of stuff is really examined you know it takes quite a while to actually uh, I accept it to be able to to meet people like you who are familiar with it and can teach it as well because yeah. you're actually living it. Yeah. But accepting that actually we are, we are not just our minds, we are not just our bodies, we are not just this physiological reaction is that what we know now with German new medicine and you know you test it with kinesiology and all the rest of it, is that this all is tied up. All of it is in this big jumble um, and um, it's about unraveling all of that. Which is where the juicy joy comes in. That's the juicy joy. It can't be juicy when there's no flow and there's no movement. So the unraveling is where the juiciness is. But this is also where the shame comes through. So you've got to let the shame be there. It's juicy. Shame's really juicy. It's got lots of energy. We just always have interpreted it as wrong. And we've been made to feel that we're wrong and that shame is wrong and we're shameful. But but actually, it's just another state of being. It's another way. It's another expression of our consciousness, if you like. So uh, what I love, what I teach, and I know you know this, Jill, there's a word in Sanskrit called rasa, R-A-S-A, rasa. You have to say it with a R. Rasa. It's juicy and it means juice. 
It means the juice, it means the beauty, it means the essence. So candy floss has got rasa, because it's just like gorgeous, isn't it? Or something like, um, I don't know, a, 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 the, the best ever orange has got the best rasa, because it's juicy and it's lovely. But shit is got, it's the pure essence of shit. <laughs> and, um, you know, everything has got its pure essence. And if we celebrate life we can celebrate the essence of everything whether we judge it to be good or bad because it's here we learn to celebrate it that's where juicy joy comes from and then it ties in to the site that to the, the physiology as well because the fascia the connective tissue in the body behaves if we're all raveled up in knots the connective tissue is and then we get stiff and we get painful and we get restricted movements and and it's not juicy anymore it's a bit shriveled up and a bit leathery and a bit yuck. And it can snap and it can break and it's uncomfortable and horrible. So when we start the unraveling and we allow this process, this inner tissue, this inner connected tissue in our own bodies, it's all around our heads as well. It's everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we allow that to start to re, uh, you know, reflow again, or whatever the word is, then that's where the juiciness can come from. And because we're women of, a, of our brilliant age and we are starting to find our own feet and when we start to realise how powerful we are and how our authority is within ourselves and we can speak from our heart in our centred, powerful selves, that's when life gets really juicy. That's when we can realise that actually it's okay to piss people off because we've been doing it all our lives and often trying to fix them pisses them off <laughs> it's none of our business if people are annoyed it's none of our business if people are happy it's none of our business it's none of our business what the state of anybody else is except for ourselves unless it's a, you know unless it's a baby and it can't walk obviously as it's mum you take care of babies but as soon as children are old enough to dress and feed themselves if we don't give them their autonomy and we never do because we were trained not to yeah they're actually you know we're giving them developmental trauma to deal with it's what we're doing it was done to us and now we're doing it as well so I'm really grateful to be part of the you know the movement that's starting to wake us up to there is there are other ways to live there are other ways to be and, yeah. and life can get juicy and be full of joy if you do and it is definitely a movement isn't it and I don't it's sometimes you think is it just that this is because we live in this world that we see more of this world I mean there is definitely part of that because of course what you think and what you say and what you what you focus on you get more of so I get more and more people in my world like you that are um, you know practicing yoga and have spiritual practices and studying trauma and you know all the stuff that I'm interested in but I think that's also true of even though women are not necessarily sure about why it's happening or why they should do it. But for example, you know, we get um, wellness professionals saying you should do yoga and Pilates, you know, as a, as a midlife woman, instead of, you know, doing. You go to a yoga class and they show you how to do headstand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give your uterus a break, woman. <laughs> <laughs> but there is also, I mean, there are good, you know, like everything else, there's a good car park and a bad one and there's a good swimming pool and a bad one there's there are good yoga teachers and bad ones there are all the shades of gray in between absolutely but one all of the, the things of gray in between yes all the shades of gray. <laughs> one of the things about the the reason why things like yoga and meditation and pilates works is it's because it's working on that um, that fascia so, you know, people never come to my Pilates classes and I yeah, occasionally I might mention fascia, but they kind of, you know, look at me strangely. But, you know, when you really understand how the body works and you connect it to the spiritual part of our bodies, 
that's when um, things really shift. But they can shift without you even really knowing why, can't they? You know, we don't need everybody to understand all this. Well, I think this is actually a big disease that we struggle with at the moment. People think that we need to understand, and I am guilty of this, absolutely. Yeah. I just want to understand why. <laughs> I just want to understand why. Why have I got this? Like, I don't care, actually, why. Can I, can, can I just change it? Yeah. <laughs> or can yeah. I just accept it? But whatever it is that I want to do, I don't always need to understand. And our desire to understand holds us back so much, mm. so frequently. Mm. Yeah, I think we're probably guilty of that. I think we're, we're both very nosy. Yeah, I'm not scientific background. You know, your nursing yeah. background, you had to think people had to believe you understood. Yeah. In my IT background, people had to believe I understood. Even if I didn't, they had to believe that I understood to trust me to do the job. Yeah. As yeah. a nurse, I have to trust that you believe what you're doing. So then I can, you know, give, I can hand over my care to you as the nurse, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were yeah. both in those roles where we had to sound like we understood what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, it is really interesting. And so from a, from a menopause point of view... Um, it's having a menopausal moment, that's appropriate. Are you having a flush? <laughs> <laughs> so how... Are you aware? I mean, you've talked about hot flushes, and I, you know, I know that that's something that you suffer with. Of of all of the other sort of symptoms, I don't mind them. Do you know what I? Quite early on, um, I actually decided if I'm having a hot flush, it could be like a reminder to be mindful. Yeah. And so I go, oh, I'm having a hot flush. I'm feeling, I'm feeling my legs feel a bit tingly. My my back's feeling heavy, and just go in and have a little check in. And so actually. Like an alarm on your phone, isn't it, telling you to yeah. drink? And as uncomfortable as it is on one level, what it's what it gives you access to, because it's something that it's this trigger, and you don't need to. As you say, you don't need to remember to, to put your alarm on you because your body's going to show it to you. <laughs> so so you, what, what else has what else has happened for you? Can you pinpoint the kind of perimenopausal symptoms that you've I'm, experienced? I think mine were quite was mixed because my hormones already with the thyroid condition, my hormones were already in a, a you know a, a space of disarray, if you like. Yeah. Um, so um, for me, um, my period stopped before I had hot flushes. I had no period for two years. Just stopped while I was in India. Just stopped. Now I understand it's got a connection because I was overdosing with the thyroxine. So of course, you know. Oh, we, but at the time, I had no idea. No, no period for two years. Not a symptom. And I'm thinking, oh, this is easy. <laughs> 42 and that's it <laughs> now I'm 55 and oh, I'm still here but <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean I think for me I was really fortunate because I don't live with anybody and I haven't got children and family around me constantly yeah so the moodiness I find that my sense is if I'd been in a relationship I'd have been a fucking nightmare for my partner but because I wasn't I did it's like I didn't have that that nobody noticed the moodiness as much yeah because I was also in this massive spiritual change people weren't expecting me to be the same so nobody ever noticed that shift and I, even I didn't um, the sleep sleep disturbed sleep but I always think that's because of the the, the, the heat so it's kind of go, goes hand in hand I don't know if my sleep disturbance is any other reasons so mm. it's something to do with heat mm. Energy levels definitely shifted, and uh, my ability to uh, gain kilos incredible. Yeah, be, we've all become much Olympian. better at that, haven't we? <laughs> I am the Olympian kilo collector. 
especially during lockdown as it happens. Well, in lo- no, it's the opposite. In lockdown, I've lived on juice because I found food is a really good way of not uh, of staying in um, company mm. and eating and using food as a company thing. Uh, you know, even at home and family, it was the same thing. You, we got to sit around the table. Everybody had to shut up and be quiet, but there was peace for five minutes while dinner was being eaten. Yeah. So there's something associated with food and anxiety to me. And uh-huh. so I've not been around a lot of people and I've been tuning in and going, I'm actually hungry. I'm not, I'm not hungry. I'll, I'll make a juice. And I ended up doing it. Some days I'd have three juices and that was it. Because I've just tuned in. I, I know I need nutrients, uh-huh. but do I actually need content? And I, and I didn't. So I think I've lost 10 kilos. That's a result. <laughs> I've lost that. Right? Getting to all my old bras. I'm like, oh. <laughs> bras that I bought a couple of years ago. I've not been able to wear them. Like, oh, yay. Get the guys' bras back again. They're a bit, not bras, you know, those top things. But um, yeah, so for me, the, the, the relationship to food really changed. Um, but now I'm understanding that anxiety and the relationship to food is much more deeply entwined than I thought. Yeah. To me, I think I've I've actually got off really lightly. Oh, recently, <laughs> I'm going to say this. I recently had a sexual encounter. That was fucking painful. <laughs> yes, he was a big boy, but, <laughs> but I was just <gasps> no. Stop! I had no idea that that was going to happen. Yeah, so if you haven't already listened to the episode on vaginal atrophy, and, you know, a lot of women won't say the word vagina or vulva, let alone actually talk about it, and for some cultures it's definitely a big, big no-no. I suppose one of the advantages of me being a nurse is that I've never been particularly shy about naming body parts and talking about (laughs) pee and boo. Um, You know, I've suffered probably with 35 of the 40 symptoms, and kind of manage your, you know, I'm not going to go back my story now, but, you know, I managed most of them very, very badly with what I thought were natural solutions. But it, the last straw was vaginal dryness. And yeah. the, everything that goes with it, it's not only painful sex, it's not only, you know, the itching and the burning, but it's everything that goes with it. You know, I've got to the stage where I couldn't sit in a car on a car journey. Um, underwear was really uncomfortable. Wearing jeans was impossible. You know, women get a lot of ut- urinary tract infections because it's the whole thing that dries up. It's not just the vagina shortens and dries. Yeah, it's the whole pelvis, isn't it? The, the whole area, absolutely. And, you know, and I, as much as I'm with you in that German new medicine and understanding the relationship between our flushes and our emotions is, is something to investigate, there is just something about being withdrawing from estrogen, which is basically what we're suffering with, this, with this estrogen withdrawal, in the same way that you have a thyroid yeah. deficiency as well. That there just comes a point at which you have to go, actually, this is this is just too much. And although you know, we, we, we live in this world where we've been told that hormone therapy is bad for us when you really understand. And of course, you know, a some lot of amazing, not, yeah, there are some amazing natural hormone therapists. Yeah. Really, I mean, this woman that I met in, in Belize, I, I only, I'm, I'm, sadly, I'm not in touch with her. I wish I was. But two conversations with that woman were life changing. I had yeah. no idea because I've never even looked into the, the thyroid issue before because I just believed the doctors knew what they were talking about. They gave yeah. me this every day. The pill had helped stop me having children. And I was quite pleased about that. Because as I say, I thought, if I have one and I don't like it. <laughs> what are we going to do? I finished that before. I think I stepped halfway out of that story. But I always knew I didn't want children. Because if you could have a child and not like it, I couldn't think of anything worse. So from a young age, I knew I didn't want children. 
Oh, right, yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, we did. The possibility was there that your parents wouldn't like you. Because your parents didn't like you. They beat you up yeah. most of the time. Yeah, there's lots of beatings, lots of criticism, uh, everything. I mean, I, I really, my heart goes out to my parents now. They're both dead. And I have no problem now with saying I know that they did the best. They absolutely did their absolute best every day. And it was shit. Their best was shit. <laughs> Yeah. They were both abused children as well, you know. Yeah. And so what they brought to the party was a load of shitty abuse behaviour and dumped it on us. So yeah, I'm the end of that line. Now I know now that the you know that the possibilities, as you say, if I'd have been less wounded or less there's something had happened that I probably would have looked forward to having a family and children like most women do. But I knew from here yeah, a very, very early age. So with the same thing with the pill, the pill worked, it gave me what I'd chosen. I thought yeah. I, was I didn't realize why. So with the thyroid, same thing. They gave me the pill, I'm fine. But then when this woman spoke to me and she said, Well, look at your symptoms, I was massively full of massive symptoms and I was taking what they recommended. And she said, It's because they're not natural hormones. Mm. And so people who work with natural hormone therapy, it is a different animal. It is not pharmaceutical hormone replacement therapy at all. Mm. And and the simple fact is that, you know. We live now into our 80s and 90s. Um, we go, average age of menopause is 51. So 30, 40 years of our life is basically without estrogen. Now, you know, 150 years ago, we went into menopause at 57 and died at 59. So two years isn't long, but 30 years, 40 years is a long time. And I've been with essentially without estrogen probably from my early 40s. You two, you know, 42, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. So already by the time, you know, I'm nearly 60 now, I've been essentially with this diminishing, dramatic diminishing of estrogen since my hysterectomy yeah. for 20 years already. So in, it's no real surprise that actually the, the extraordinary, the extreme symptoms that not every woman gets. But for me, um, you know, this was just the last straw. And I... And, um, I, God forbid, all these women that are sitting in nursing homes, sitting still on a chair uh, all day long. Live, with, well, they live on penicillin, don't they? Yeah. They're, they're trying to fix the infection. That's right. They're treating the symptom and not actually treating the underlying cause, which is actually this hormone deficiency. Yeah. So, you know, the more we can do about that. The other interesting thing from German new medicine perspective, the urinary tract and the bladder and the mechanisms around that are generally associated to territory uh -huh. and women's territory is very different to men's territory because a woman's territory is like herself it's her um reputation it's what's in their handbag it's what's in her house it's what's in her family yeah, a no man's territory is defense yeah so get off my land they're <laughs> yeah. watching inside don't look in my bag or, or don't tell me don't i'm not going to tell you a secret these are women's territory now as a as a menopausal woman we lose territory and, and what what did, what did my teacher Juliet said something the other day youth envy uh-huh youth envy is a it, it, we were talking about how is it that women are so full of youth envy yeah, so as a 50-year-old woman, I look at photographs of myself 25, 30 years ago, and oh my God, goddess, supermodel, how did I not fucking know how gorgeous I was? <laughs> and you tell me you can't look at a photograph of yourself 20 years ago and go, 
fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Part of that is because we're comparing to what we are now and seeing that youth and thinking that that's better. Yeah. So that's part of our territory. We've had our beauty taken from us because we've got we've aged. So this is another territorial loss which impacts the tissues around the urine and the urine retract stuff. So we've got all of this psychological perspective things, you know, the body's creating coping strategies. Well, when you feel like you're not in your own territory, the coping strategy is to piss everywhere. <laughs> you're mocking everywhere with your territory. Well, what happens to hormonal women? We fucking piss everywhere. You try sneezing in your, you know, your nice slate grey leggings. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> And it's not talked about, you know, I mean, apart from those awful adverts on the television, which you don't have a television, I know, but, you know, 10 a lady pads of this, you know, young woman at 45 going or 42 saying, I've had a baby and the payoff is that I might wee myself a little bit and that's acceptable. No, it isn't. And and the awful ones selling kind of stuff from one of the high street pharmac- pharmacies saying you might just have a slight itch down below and this is going to solve it, apart from the fact it's full of parabens and all sorts. But this is this is the it's almost like this is the sex education. This is like the world women's wellness education that we, the masses are seeing yeah. um, and, and believing and understanding. And as you say, the misinformation also from their GPs, yeah. you know, GPs are not trained in the menopause. They're or not men. trained in trauma either. No, they're not. And that's what this podcast is about as well, is actually saying, do you know what? There is another way. And the great thing that one of the things that you and Cheryl do, with, and we're going to talk about the Find Your Why Foundation now, is helping and empowering women to understand how they can tune much more and become awareness. You have three parts of your find your why, don't you? And the first part of that is awareness, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Until there's awareness, ain't nothing changing. And we know that any client who comes to us wants something to change. If you didn't want anything to change, you'd never be out there looking for the solution. So just the fact that people are attracted to, you know, finding your why, what is a why? Why is it so important to have a why? Your why is basically, what do you want? What do you want? Without ever using the word not or don't or any negative, any negation, what do you want? Because most people will start with why, I don't want this and I don't want, well, that's fine. What do you want? And being really clear on what you want and all of the aspects about that, all of the possible consequences, do you want those as well? You've got to really look deeply into this. It's a very deep process. The awareness of what you do want means then you set that as an intention, which is the next part. So it's A, I, and M. It spells aim. So A is about awareness. I is the intention. Your intention is when you clarify what you do want. What you're also clarifying is, you know, all the possible consequences you can see. How are you going to feel? How are other people going to feel? How are you going to respond? How are other people going to respond? So you have to look into it deeply and then you can set a really clear intention. That's using the law of attraction in the universe. Put it out there. Tell the universe, this is what I want. So for example, you might want a new car. But do you need a car because you want to look sexy driving down the beach? Do you need a car because you've got four kids you want to take them to school and dance lessons regularly? Do you need a car because you've got a, you know, a granny in a wheelchair that you'd like to take out more often? What do you need the car for? So the car is what you want. The intention is who are you going to use it with? What, fact, what impact is it going to have on you? What impact is it going to have? That's the intention. It's going to add all of that energy to it. And then once, you've set, once you're really aware and you set a really clear intention, then we start moving towards manifest, which is the M, manifest. 
make it happen, move your arse. Because nothing happens when we don't do anything. Setting an intention and sitting and meditating upon it, it may drop into your lap. Yeah. It may. But if you don't start putting energy out there, the universe ain't giving you any energy back. Because everything, you know, it's give and take, give and take, give and take, yin and yang, yin and out. It's everything is give and take. So you've got to move your ass. Is what commitment, what movement, what are you going to do now to move towards what you want so the universe can really bring it? Yeah, I think that's what that's what is so wonderful about what you and Cheryl do. And you, you know, the reason I sort of joined the Find Your Wife Foundation and um, was because you know what Cheryl brings to this is this amazing energy and insight. You know, she's she just has this vision and a knowing about people, and we understand why that is. Myself, I have a, a different sort of intuitive gut feeling about things, yeah. but Cheryl can see this big picture, um, and then you actually are able to come in with all these amazing interventions well, and tools. into the bigger picture that she's yeah that she's yeah. really clear on the image, so I can then really start to bring up what I do so we kind of meet in the middle it's great yeah it's really really powerful and all the women that are in the lounge live, the live love love lounge um, because um, Cheryl always says remember to live love and laugh every day that's yeah. the juicy joy thing yeah. is you know it's wonderful to be a bit of a voyeur now being the old the old crone in the group <laughs> and seeing these women and generally they are women at, at this stage of life aren't they most of the women are 40 yeah, we, plus on 40 plus 40 45 plus yeah we've got a few women that are younger than that and that's you know we're happy if they feel you know that they fit into the community we're happy to have them yeah but the the focus really is and it's not it's menopausal women that is our that's who we help because that's who we are yeah and we we are looking to help people who are in where cheryl was five years ago she really didn't start to even know personal development was a thing until about seven or eight years ago so once she'd realised you could change things, that this wasn't a groundhog day, then suddenly the world opened up and that's who we want to attract as our clients. Yeah. Are you that woman who has realised it doesn't actually have to be groundhog day, but you don't know how the fuck to change it? Yeah, because at 51, you know, is because that's the average age of the last day of the period, yeah. that's also the average age where people will uh, give up and resign from work. I did that at 51. I jacked my job in because I was in a very poor state of health. It's the period of life where relationships break down. It's no coincidence, you know, that all of this stuff is happening at the time. In my own experience, nobody mentioned the menopause to me. Yeah, because the woman um, changed. Yeah, absolutely. Change. Because it's the so change. But it, you know, it was it was all well. You're depressed, or you're this, or you yeah. know, or you're not coping at work, or you're stressed, or whatever. And yes, all of those things, but all of those things are also to do with the menopause. As is this um, kind of realization that a lot of us have, whether it's because you're empty nesting and you're thinking, shit, what do I do now? Or whether it's because you're in a corporate world and you're thinking, actually, there are a lot of younger people here that are kind of taking over the mantle and really cannot be asked. You know, is this really where I want to be? Or is the next stage, yes, I actually want to go to the next stage, but I don't really want to do it for somebody else because I'm fed up making money for somebody else. I actually want to do that for myself. All those scenarios and many more. There's loads more. Do you know the big, there's a big one as well is the elder. This is what I was saying before about the youth envy. Yeah. How awful is it that we're in a society that respects fucking airheads? 
rather than respecting elders at 71, that yeah. is society-based trauma, our elders are worthless. Yeah. Everything we do, you know, it, it, it resonates with everybody around us. And yeah. so when you're, when you're right, when you're with people who are young and they're looking to see how to be, who yeah. do I like so that I can emulate that or who do I not like so I can move away? Yeah. We, we are all examples of that for everybody. All the yes. And the, and the best way of doing that is to be yourself. And of course, that's what the great thing about the Find Your Why Foundation is. Sometimes, is, you know what? Sometimes I don't even know how to be myself. Mm. Sometimes you're in a position you think, I don't know, you just, you know, you just, because you get, we, we, we've been so programmed not to be self. Mm. We've been so programmed to be this identity that we built. But then when we're in a, a moment where there's an opportunity here to do something different or to be in a different way, but then sometimes I do that and I get lost. Mm. I'm a bit lost because I don't know what the other way is. Mm. So, um, and there, there might be other women out there that feel like me as well in that my identity is slightly different when I'm with my husband. Yeah. We've been together for 38 years. So although I have changed massively, particularly in the last three years, my identity when I'm with him because he expects me to be a certain way, yeah. tends I tend to fall back into that persona uh, and I, I am conscious that I do it. Identities are not meant to be got rid of or killed or, you know, like kill the ego and all that. No, 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 no. Use it. Use it when it's appropriate. Use yeah. it knowingly. Use it consciously. And be kind and compassionate to yourself because all of the parts of our identity have been born from, usually from some sort of adversity, some difficulty or some challenge. Yeah. And so, you know, be, be kind to yourself. You've made it this far. Uh, and as much as we've all got, you know, a whole heap of bad habits, that's okay. It, it, becoming aware of them, being kind to yourself, that actually begins the transformation without you even have to do anything. And that's such a wonderful message. And that's the, really the sort of key to the spiritual part of this podcast. And, you know, I'll be bringing more people on like you, who, you know, I want to talk about these kind of things and to give women who are listening and maybe men who are listening too the the opportunity to really understand more about themselves and and they can definitely do that you know by coming to the find your why foundation and we'll oh yeah well the links, at the moment, yeah. for the, the lockdown periods we're actually offering a free month in the community yeah if it's selling i'm selling a lot <laughs> <laughs> but it's free yeah, there's a, we, 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 we knew that during lockdown, we, you know, it's like, what can we do to support people? Well, let's just open up the community so people can come and try us for four weeks. So if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're interested. If um, that's still going, because this this will go out, um, this will go out in a few weeks. So it may not be. It going till, keeping it going yeah, for a while. Well, until the, the things are lifted. Yeah, so we don't know. Be allowed to, to, to go out and yeah. pump their friends. But I mean, it's really, it's ridiculously cheap anyway. It's, um, yeah, it's 20 quid a month. So even if it's out of lockdown, you know, I yeah. would really recommend that, you know, you're not committing yourself to life to this. Yeah. If you are a woman and actually you resonate with that moment of saying, actually, there is more to life. I know that there is something here that I need, but I can't identify it. I don't know what it is even. Well, I've no clue. Fine. You don't have to figure it out on your own and you don't have to do, have to it, do it alone. <laughs> yeah. Um so that that's really the the kind of message of uh, today's conversation and I knew that we would get to that point of course because I know you so well. Um, <laughs> um is to encourage people and empower women particularly um, to embrace change and the change and change um, but actually also to reach out. So you know 
I, I don't do what you do um, and in the same way that you don't do what I do you know mine's much more about health and well-being yeah. yours yeah. is very much on that purpose and why and yeah. um, but actually we complement each other really well it's all needed we are multi-dimensional beings yeah. <laughs> we've got lots of parts we've got mental physical psychological emotional yeah. spiritual social there are so many parts to us yeah. we are we, we are a fa- an inner family of parts playing the role in the society again you know what, what what is what's the role i'm going to play what identity am i using right now we're all of that we're all yeah. of that we need to take care of all of our parts so we yeah. need to we do need to work collaboration community these are really big things for me at the moment i'm in lots of different communities and, and lots of those communities collaborate and people within them collaborate. and it's beautiful to see because everybody benefits everybody wins. and i definitely think that's been a theme of lockdown is that more people have understood the importance of community um you know whether that's in the family or literally their local community and i think hopefully that's one of the stuff that that the positives that we're going to take away from this covid i think thing. sacred space and sacred silence Mm. I think really. absolutely so uh, thank you very much my goddess Marian for uh, joining me today and um, I think we'll come back uh, maybe at a later date and maybe dive deeper into some of the trauma stuff because I'm really you know I'm fascinated oh. about that oh wow yeah please please have me back I've got loads more to tell you about. yeah yeah I know you have <laughs> we could talk all day thank you lovely thank you very much <laughs> Thank you.